Well, good morning. My name is Brian Telzeron. I'm the pastor of the Congregational Life here at Fifth Church, and I have the blessing to present our last message in the series that we've been going through over the summer called What We Are, Images of Ministry. The Apostle Paul, throughout uh, First and Second Corinthians, has given us various titles. He's called us co-workers, servants, uh, stewards of the mysteries of God, the aroma of Christ. And last week, we got to hear from uh, last year's uh, Jubilee Fellow from Calvin University on the subject of being jars of clay. And this morning, I get to talk about being Christ's ambassadors. And so uh, we're going to start with our scripture reading. Uh, Randy is going to come and uh, read our scripture from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Hear God's word. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you then on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Randy. Paul says that we are to be Christ's ambassadors. Wow, what a lofty title. I can't help but wonder, what does it mean to be an ambassador? Well, my wife, Becky, has a stepmom who has worked with a Canadian embassy for decades. Uh, she has served all over the world, and so I thought it would be good to get her perspective on what the role of an ambassador is, her being her first-hand experience of that. So, um, what was interesting to note, though, that my stepmother, Joyce, was directly tied to the ministry that our student ministries are involved in in Trinidad and Tobago. You may not know that history. Well, you're going to get that here this morning. Uh, you see, uh, Jay, Becky's father, and Joyce traveled the world going around to different postings. Every three years, they would be given a new post. And Becky would often go and visit them at those various different postings. She's been to Hong Kong. She's been to Mexico City, she's been to London, and she, after we were married, went to Trinidad and Tobago. Now, we got that news that they were going to Trinidad and Tobago, and I thought, where's Trinidad and Tobago? I had no idea where it was. Well, a week later, our church, our mission team, was having a mission conference. They were hosting that. We walk in the door, and there was an organization there that had, were recruiting people to come to Trinidad and Tobago. And of course, I walk in and see this and look at Becky and go, 
I think we're supposed to go to Trinidad and Tobago. And as the story goes, we took a two-week trip down there uh, with our team. Jan and Carol Fields uh, joined us on that. They came back with the team while we stayed an extra week to be with Jay and Joyce at the embassy with our daughter Stephanie uh, and Evan was there as well. And uh, we got a chance to introduce Jay and Joyce to Ashok Beshu, who is the director of the Trinidad and Tobago Urban Ministries. Well, over the years, we've gotten to have some connections back and forth with them. Uh, and Ashok and Stephanie, uh, Ashok's wife, their daughter Joanna happens to be the president of Calvin University's wife. And so we've had some connections, and they continue to have that, and we continue to do things with Trinidad and Tobago. And so now you know the rest of the story of how that connection has come. So in talking with Joyce and asking her about the role of an ambassador, uh, she made a couple of specific comments. She said, the role of the ambassador uh, is to do and to act upon the wishes of the sovereign." So, of course, the sovereign in the British colonies was the Queen of England at the time. Uh, and so the sovereign, in our case, in the United States, would be the president. Uh, and so our role is uh, that we would do the wishes or whatever it is that the sovereign would desire. It's also known as the plenipotentiary. Now, there's a new word for you. I had to look it up myself. I've now heard that one before. The plenipotentiary has both a noun and an adjective uh, reference to it. As a noun, they are the one who is the diplomat who has the full powers of the government in that land. So the ambassador is the one who has the full powers of the country, their home country, in the host country. Uh, that is, uh, whom they represent. And they have full power to sign treaties or conventions on behalf of their sovereign or leader. So the focus of an ambassador is to represent their home country to the host country and to not forget that role as they serve in that capacity. They are to resent, uh, represent that sovereign as closely as possible. So the closer relationship that exists, the better. They are required to care for the nationals who are present in that host country, like um, Brittany Griner, uh, the female athlete, and the former U.S. Marine, Paul Whelan, uh, to name a couple of examples of people who needed ambassador representation in the country of Russia over the last year or so. They also must be well-versed in the practices and the laws of the home in the host country, and their qualifications include knowing the language and having negotiation capacities. Now, Canadian ambassadors are appointed by experience and a reward of service done well in the host country. Whereas in the U U.S., ambassadors are often appointed as a favor or a reward of loyalty to the president uh, or the sovereign in our case. So in either case, they possess the authority of the country that they are from and to report back any concerns of potential threats that might come to the home country. Well, as we unpack this pass passage, uh, that Paul writes, the role that we play as an ambassador for Christ, I want to look at the context around this passage to help understand what that role of ambassador might look like. Last week, Joey referred to this as the micro-context, meaning the words just before the passage we just read and the words after. 
So to understand what's going on at the time. So to do so, we're going to start with verse 11 uh, that uh, identifies some of this context. And so Paul writes, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others, yet we are, what we are is plain to God and I hope is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What we are, Paul writes, is plain to God and I hope is also plain to your conscience. Christ's love compels us. Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died and is also alive. Can you hear the ambassador connection that we live for the sake of the one with whom we are allegiant to? Therefore, we are to live and to serve others, which translates we are also serving Christ. He lived and he died. That is an historical fact. The evidence is clear. He then rose again and is alive and also an historical fact seen by many witnesses and evidence that exists on many occasions. Hence, we hear the phrase from our lead pastor, John, who often says we live in a world that has experienced a resurrection. What a beautiful phrase. And um, if we are um, to look, if we want to see this hard evidence, if you want more, if you need to have the details of that unpacked uh, more, I encourage you uh, to get the book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and he was not a believer at the time when he started this project. But he used his investigative skills to, to look at all the facts that exist. And he came clearly to the conclusion that Christ did live, he did die, and he did rise again. But don't take my word for it. Take a look at what, uh, what Lee looked at and all the, the evidence behind that. So you have a little bit of that context now as we enter into today's passage. So from verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, Paul says. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. How incredible is this? Jesus is alive and is making all things new. The old me is gone, the new me is here. Now I say this all the time, that I'm a work in progress. Uh, and I believe that, uh, and that's part of my journey. Uh, and I, I, I like to recognize that I no longer have to be in the bondage of my old self. I can experience the new creation that he's made me because it's done. Jesus is referred to in John's um, translation of the book of a Revelations where he says, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. 
It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. My being reconciled to God was completed in Jesus. That is not a process. Being formed into the image of Christ is a process. But my reconciliation is done in Christ alone. So in verse 18, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So what is this ministry of reconciliation? Reconciliation is defined as the restoration of friendly relationships or the act of making one view or belief compatible with the other or it's the action of making financial accounts consistent. That's what I'm most familiar with because believe it or not, I went to school to be an accountant. Yes, my undergrad is in accounting. Now, the only thing I use my accounting degree these days is to reconcile my checkbook with a bank statement. Uh, and I do so to the penny. So I at least have that going for me. Uh, but in here, in this case, uh, we get the ministry of reconciliation is more about the restoration of, of friendly relations. We are to duplicate what God was doing in drawing us into a relationship. God reconciled us to himself meaning he restored a right relationship between us and him or us and the Father. Well, how does he do this? Well, this is where verse 19 really troubled me through this, and I don't know if it troubled you at all in this process. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. How? By not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us this message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation is that God does not count our sins against us. That should be incredibly freeing for all of us, yes? Absolutely. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus' righteousness has been imputed to us meaning it is on the basis of Jesus' actions and his righteousness that God accepts us as human beings. The acceptance is what we call justification by faith. Praise God for this. All this is done out of his love for us, that Christ's love compels us. And it's with this message of reconciliation in mind that Paul writes, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So as ambassadors, our job is to represent the wishes of our sovereign as closely as possible. We are therefore plenipotentiary for Christ's sake. Have some fun with your relatives and other friends about what that word means. Uh, but therefore, as, as the message is as simple as that, is that we are to be reconciled to God. God reconciled us to himself by not counting our sins against us. Therefore, our role is to introduce people to God who loves us, who doesn't count our sins against us because he paid the price for our sins, uh, what our sins had borne. And he had rose again from the dead and he's alive. And we praise him for that.
This message of reconciliation is therefore a matter of life and death. The old is gone, the new has come. We are his ambassadors. And he entrusted us with this message and that we need to live our daily lives among others and bring them into this idea of safety and blessing with the Father. It is not about our worthiness, but rather about his worthiness. Paul makes this very clear in his letter to the Romans. In chapter 3, he says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So we will not be declared God's, in God's sight, declared righteous in God's sight by our own works. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Well, how then can we lead people to become reconciled to God? Perhaps it begins with focusing more about being reconciling than about judging or dividing others. Who among us has ground to stand on? Paul makes this very clear. God reconciled us by not counting our sins against us. Perhaps having a heart of gratitude for his grace is a great place to start. Now, I thought long and hard about this verse 19, about whether or not what it means to be reconciled to one another. Is God asking me to not count what people do against them? Could that be what God is asking us to do? To be honest, I'm not sure. I'd love to not be able to count what people do to me against them. But I don't know how realistic that can be. I've never been abused. I've never had someone murder someone I love. I've never killed hundreds or thousands or even one. Oh, I may have with my words, and I probably certainly have in my own mind, and these are big ways that we cause harm and pain to others. But there's also simple ways. People who disagree with us, spouses who annoy us, co-workers that we don't trust, neighbors who are too lost, too messy, or too you fill in the blank. Am I supposed to not count their actions against them? I'd love to be able to do so. But how possible is this on this side of heaven? I'm not really sure. But if I remember how much God has forgiven me, that gives me a window into my ability to be able to forgive others as well. Thankfully, God does not count their sins against them. So, what can I do? I can celebrate his forgiveness for their sake, even though I might endure some of the pain and the natural consequences that come from their actions. I can communicate his grace and his justification because of what he has done for them. That is, not how, that is not how we represent our sovereign. Our way to represent our sovereign is to give them grace just as our Father has given grace to us. The chapter ends with verse 21, but the theme continues on in chapter 6. 
And uh, Paul writes as he continues into these, this thought, as God's co-workers, again, coming full circle with some of those titles, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Can you hear the urgency in Paul's voice here? Listen to his commitment to the message of reconciliation. Paul describes here in chapter 6. It's lengthy, but it's, you look at the intensity, of the, the intensity of this passage. Paul says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry would not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commended ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardship, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonment, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you, we are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. Now, just in case we might think that it's much harder to be an ambassador today than it was then, you hear the intensity of what Paul was going through in his relationships with the Corinthian people. Open wide your heart. So as ambassadors, we must represent the sovereign to our host country. We are not home yet. We live in a foreign land that enables us to be ambassadors. We have been given the authority to reveal God's grace and to tell all that our king, our Lord, does not count their sins, their wrongdoings against them. That is a beautiful thing. Um, we, it's a great way we get to care for each other just as the role of the ambassador calls us to do. He loves us all and calls us to be reconciled to God. Not counting our sins against us should be incredibly freeing to us, knowing that that's not counted against us and it's not counted against them. Therefore, we are one. Our knowledge of God's laws and practices can bring hope to those who do not know him. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are his beloved children under his authority. So he says, be reconciled to God. And that reconciliation comes from Christ alone. Not by our works, it's only by his works. Therefore, I can communicate to others what maybe they've done. God forgives them and they can be accounted among his children. So in Christ alone, he's the only reason that we are called God's beloved children. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? Father God,
it is truly hard to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love for each one of us. As we've read this morning, that your love compels us. Lord, I pray that our love would be something that others would see and want to join not only our community, but the community of faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again and is alive today. It is not by our works that we are called righteous, but only because of your son, Jesus Christ, do we have any claim to the reward and the gift of our sovereign, Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It is you alone with whom we worship and pledge our allegiance to and try to live and practice the way that you want us to as your ambassadors to bring others into your love and care. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.